Till Death Do Us Part is a lighthearted and sometimes satirical true crime podcast where we present our dysfunctional married take on serious cases involving other dysfunctional relationships. We hope you enjoy. Hello, and welcome to the 90th episode of Till Death Do Us Part podcast. I'm Daniel. And I'm Melissa. That was our kid. Spawn of MacArthur. (laughs) She's been asking to do that for a while, so I finally gave in. You're welcome. We're recording on Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all you mamas out there. Happy Mother's Day. All right, now that we got that out of the way, (laughs) let's get on to the real stuff. (laughs) I was just thinking about all the men out there who, for Mother's Day, think that looking at their wife and saying... I'm going to give you a gift later. That's not a good gift? That is not a good gift. What? I'm sorry, fellas. Giving your wife adult aerobics on Mother's Day is not necessarily a good gift. And I'll tell you why. A lot of times on Mother's Day, we would like to not be touched or (laughs) have to do the dishes. Did you do the dishes today? No, you did the dishes today. No. No, I'm I'm just saying that I hear this a lot from women is that on their birthdays or on Mother's Day, their husbands are like, hey, I'm going to give you the gift of my nether regions as your present. And I'm just reminding the five men that listen to us that maybe she just wants to not be touched or maybe she wants you to rent a hotel room and leave. Do you really want me to rent you a hotel room so you can leave? (laughs) So I can leave or so you can leave? So you can leave, right? No. Is that what you're asking? No, I'm saying rent a hotel room and then tell your wife or your significant other that they can order anything they want. They can drink anything they want. They can watch whatever they want on television. Got it. For a whole 24 hours. Okay. By themselves, not being touched. Okay, got it. So I would love to hear feedback on this. I know, right? Would you personally, really truthfully, would you like a hotel room away from the house to be away? Would that interest you? Would you be like, oh my gosh, that sounds fabulous? Not necessarily because I don't do well by myself, but like a girl's trip. Oh, okay. So it's not by yourself. Something like that. No, but I do hear from a lot of women, my friends especially, or coworkers, that a nice night away is really what they would like. Okay, I don't care. You can go. Not necessarily tapping that that booty. I'd be perfectly fine with you leaving. I know you would. Okay, I wouldn't care. It'd be, it'd be awesome. It'd be quiet too for me because then it'd just be me and the kids. We can hang out. I feel like you're taking offense to this. I am a little bit. Really? Because this men get such you. a bad... No, men get such a bad rap because if we don't touch you, then you're like, how come you don't want me anymore? Is it because I'm not attractive? Am I too fat? Right? And then when we start to show interest, we're pigs. No, I'm specifically talking about that being a gift that you give your significant other. Okay. Is a hour in pound town. Oh, well, yeah. That's what I'm talking about. You wouldn't just say that. If you just came right out and said, like an idiot... But, and just said but that. they do. Some do. They're like, hey, my gift to you is later. <laughs> like in a wink, oh, wink. Okay. So it's, that's what I'm talking about. It's the deliverance of it. It's That's probably or not the right word. Or thinking that just giving your wife adult aerobics 
is gift enough for Mother's Day or for her birthday. Gotcha. That's what I'm saying. You're getting offended, but it's not, this isn't about you. This is just about, generally speaking, don't just give your wife the gift of your wiener. Okay, perfect. Do you want to hear how simple men are? Yes. Do you know what we want for Father's Day or birthdays? Yes, you want adult aerobics. We just want the gift of you. I get that. So there you go. Okay, so that's the difference We're between simple. the we two sexes. We don't need a lot. That's all we need. You don't. And I'm very glad that you don't because I don't give that much. <laughs> no, but does it make sense? Are you still offended? No, I'm just, is that something you would actually want? You would want me to surprise you with a day away from everything? No, I'm I'm talking about like a girl's trip or something like that. I don't necessarily need to be alone, but also because our kids are older. Ask me five, ten years ago, and I probably would have liked to have had a night by myself. Gotcha. Okay. But right now, it's different. We're in a different season. Our kids are older, so they ignore us most of the time. Okay. This intro went on for a really long time. It did. All right. Sorry, you guys. <laughs> All right, Daniel, you got some factoids for me? I does. I do. This is from BuzzFeed, because BuzzFeed's awesome. This write-up is about super fund sites. Super uh, fun? Super fund. Almost like money. Funds. F-U-N-D. Fund. Yeah. Okay. Because these sites are not fun. I'll break it down real quick. These are toxic sites in the U.S., most of which, a lot of them, are in California. Oh, we are pretty toxic out here. A super fun site is a place that is severely contaminated by hazardous waste that's been left out or in the open and has not been properly managed. Oh, fun. And there are thousands of these sites across the U.S., including one that's called America's Chernobyl. Oh. Okay, so I'm going to read a few because we don't have a lot of time because we spent so much flipping time talking about you leaving for a day. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Number one, it's called the Hanford Nuclear Site. It's a decommissioned nuclear production complex in Benton County, Washington, and it was involved with the Manhattan Project. It's been called the most toxic place in America and is referred to as America's Chernobyl. So according to NBC News, the tanks are leaking and the vapors they emit contain toxic and radioactive chemicals known to cause cancer as well as brain and lung damage. 2016, 61 workers were exposed to these chemicals and toxins. Some nuclear experts have even gone so far as to call Hanford, which opened in 1943, the most toxic place in America. And that there is, quote, an underground Chernobyl waiting to happen. Look at this picture. Obviously, this doesn't help those of you listening. Those are all 55-gallon drums of nuclear waste. Oh, that's down frightening. Down in a pit. That's scary looking. Okay. Okay, well, now I know what my new fear is. Number two, Gowanus Canal. No, Gowanus, Gowanus Canal. <laughs> G-O-W-A-N-U-S. I'm I'm trying to be funny. It's, I know you are. I'm sure it's not pronounced gal anus. No. Do you remember how to spell anus? <sighs> no. We had one person that was mad at you because you I were joking it. and misspelled anus. Uh, hey, I'm I'm very slow. <laughs> um, running. And so sometimes stuff happens. This is in Brooklyn, New York, which is surrounded by popular communities including Park Slope, 
Cobble Hill, Carroll Gardens, and Red Hook, and is considered one of the most polluted bodies of water in the U.S. It was once the location of gas plants, paper mills, tanneries, and chemical plants that discharge waste into the canal. So again, here's a picture. So that's all, you know, homes, industry all around this canal. Gross. According to Gothamist, I don't know what Gothamist is, the canal's sediment, it's called black mayonnaise. Yummy. It's a lethal mix of oil, coal, pesticides, rotting debris, raw sewage, chemicals, and heavy metals, which includes arsenic, benzene, chromium, mercury, and lead. The canal's waters are tainted by millions of gallons of sewage every year, which in the 1970s led to it being contaminated with typhoid, cholera, and tuberculosis. This is fun. In more recent years, it has been diagnosed with gonorrhea. The mayonnaise? The canal. (laughs) <laughs> yeah they did a they did a uh, gonorrhea canal they should change the name to that the canal's coastline has been poisoned by a century of industrial use including chemical factories and manufactured gas plants which left behind coal tar plumes that have sunk 153 feet underground nasty number three the Middlefield ellis wiseman superfund study area that's quite a mouthful or MU for short, which is actually comprised of three Superfund sites and is next door to Google's Mountain View campuses in California. (laughs) Beautiful Mountain View, California. It's one of the most expensive places to live in the U.S., by the way. Very expensive real estate. I know, but it has those... I am about... It has three sites. I am about to tell you. This is fun. Sucks for you. 2013, as Forbes reported, two of Google's buildings suffered from toxic vapors that seeped up from the ground. They explained that, quote, the pollution is caused by trichloroethylene venting up through the soil, to which you ask, what is that? It is powerful solvent that was used in vast quantities by Semiconductor manufacturers like Fairchild, Intel, and Raytheon in the early days of Silicon Valley. Oh my gosh. That's it. So those big old multi-billion dollar facilities of Google sitting there, (laughs) underneath them is just this super toxic solvent. I'm surprised nobody sued Google yet. I don't know. It's got to have like a scent, right? I mean, anybody working in Google probably has a scent, so. Probably. They make good money over there, though. They do. That they do. Cost of living's high, so it kind of all works out. Yeah. Number four, the Wingate Road Municipal Incinerator Dump in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Beautiful. It's where the city operated a waste incineration facility from 1954 to 1978. According to the Sun Sentinel, the 61-acre property had been the site of a municipal incinerator and disposal operation run in such a sloppy manner that soil and water were contaminated with a witch's brew of toxins. Neighborhood (laughs) residents blame the incinerator for cancers, birth defects, and other health problems. That's sad. Probably finish with this one. Numero Cinco, the Washington County Lead District, Old Mines Site in Washington County, Missouri. It has soil, groundwater, surface water, and sediment contaminated with arsenic. Mm. Barium, cadmium, and lead from historical mining practices, which many residences in the area 
seem to be unaware of. What? Until today. Because, of course, everyone listens to us, so now they're going to go, oh, crap, I had no idea until Daniel brought up this stupid factoid. (laughs) According to the EPA, as development in the area progressed over the last 200 years, residents of the area have constructed homes and developments on mine waste. Many people have used mine waste as an inexpensive option for use in gravel driveways or even sandboxes for children. Oh, no. Unfortunately, many people moving into the area are not familiar with the mining history of the area or the health risks associated with exposure to mine waste containing lead, arsenic, and cadmium. Uh. The end. I'll stop because <laughs> it just gets worse. Oh, that's awful. I'm so sorry if you live near these areas. That really Again, sucks. This is from the internets. It seems fairly reputable, but I could be wrong. So well, I mean, if I am wrong, just sorry. comment somehow and say you're wrong, Daniel. It isn't like that. It's perfectly fine. There's no problems. And just because my child has an eye on the side of her head doesn't have anything to do with it. It is BuzzFeed. It so is BuzzFeed. that is very reputable. Oh, very. So we should believe everything we read on BuzzFeed. And social media. Although BuzzFeed just collected the stories and put them together. The stories were actually published by local news agencies of those particular areas. That's true. You're welcome. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Are you still mad at me about my beginning? No, I don't care. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for your factoids. Daniel. I'm not talking to you anymore. I'm so offended by the beginning. <laughs> Just hurry up. Oh, okay. Oh, my armpits are sweating. Okay. This is the case of Howard Elkins and Raina Medikin. It's not Marokins? No. I looked it up Maro about five, five different times, and that is how you say it. Marokins. Medikin. Okay, Medikin. Yes. On September 2nd, 1999, a call came into the Nassau County 911 Center. A man had called to say that he had found a possible dead body on his property in the family-friendly and upper-middle-class area of Jericho, New York. Investigators arrived on the scene quickly and were shown to a large, industrial, 55-gallon drum that was standing upright on the curb According to the homeowner, he and his family were in the process of moving out of the home, and as per the new buyer's request, the crawl space was to be completely cleaned out, including the large steel drum in a back corner that had been in that crawl space since the old owner had purchased the home a decade earlier. The crawl space had always just been used as a storage space the children even using the area when playing hide-and-seek. That's the best, because no one's going to go in there and look for you. (laughs) The homeowner could not move the drum by himself, so he asked the movers if they could help him get the over 300-pound steel drum to the curb to be picked up by sanitation. That morning, sanitation came by the house, but refused to remove the drum. 
A note was left in the mailbox that said something like, too heavy, lighten the barrel, or find another way to dispose of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Completely annoyed by how much trouble the stupid barrel had become, the homeowner was over it. He went and grabbed a screwdriver and removed the outer ring of the lid and was able to pry it open. Immediately, he and a friend standing nearby were overcome with a horrific odor. Horrific enough to start gagging. Inside the barrel, they saw a greenish liquid covered with what appeared to be small plastic beads. What? And then all of a sudden, a boot popped up out of the muck and rested on the surface. It's like a bad sci-fi movie, you know, where the guys are fighting and they're always in a warehouse and one falls off into this giant cauldron of (laughs) some radioactive steaming acid stuff, right? And then one last minute, his foot sticks up or his hand and it's disintegrating. Sorry, I'll stop. (laughs) And then they become a superhero? No, and then they just die. Oh, okay. Whatever. There also appeared to be a small hand. Oh, jeez. Horrified, they called 911. Yeah. When investigators looked into the drum, they too saw the boot. It had a rusty tinge to it and what looked like a hand. Only the hand was not fresh, nor was it just bones. The hand had a leathery appearance, as though it was mummified. They also noticed the small plastic pellets and the greenish color liquid. The drum was loaded into a lift and taken to the medical examiner's office. Soon it would be determined whether or not the mummified hand was attached to a body. Once the steel drum was in the building, a white sheet was laid out and everyone in the room wore a gas mask and thick plastic gloves. The green liquid was drained out and samples were taken. And attached to the hand were the intact remains of a small body, the petite body of a woman in a fetal position, and she was mummified. This woman appeared to be 25 to 30 years old and had long black hair. Her four front teeth were outlined in a gold inlay which is not a popular dental practice in the United States, but is popular in Central America. So she had a gold grill. The teeth were not fully gold. They were just outlined in gold. Oh, okay. Like the gaps? Like the the edges of the teeth? Yeah, the edges of the teeth. Oh, all right. I've never seen that before, and it's not popular here, but according to the medical examiner, it's popular more in Central America. Okay. She was also wearing a leopard pattern coat and a late 60s style dress and boots. According to the medical examiner, her clothing was like a time capsule. It was determined that this woman had been in this barrel since the late 60s. So for 30 years. Okay, so I obviously have a very pressing question. (laughs) Oh boy, what's that? What's the liquid that preserved her? Oh, What's I'll... the green liquid okay. that's preserving her? Okay, I'll Right, because anything else, she would have been mush. It, or if nothing was in there, if she was just perfectly sealed, I mean, so bugs couldn't get in, she would just decompose because there's already bacteria in your body. Right? You're getting so smart at these, babe. No, I'm not. Remember, propeller hat. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay. 
It was determined that this woman was killed by blunt force trauma to the back of her head. There were 7 to 10 deep lacerations found. This poor woman was brutally beaten with a sharp and heavy object. Another discovery was made after her body had been scanned. She was pregnant. There was an almost full-term baby inside of her body. Once the body was removed from the barrel, other items were also found inside. A pocketbook filled with some makeup essentials such as an eyebrow pencil, lipstick, blush, and powder, plus a small address book. But this bag and all its contents had been soaking in that green goo for 30 years, and the paper within the address book was saturated. One of the investigators said that if not handled properly, a finger could have gone right through the entire thing. The potential evidence was given to the document department of the crime lab, and the address book was put straight into a drying oven. They were willing to try to meticulously dry out each individual page, hoping something would be salvageable within that book. A green plastic flower stem with leaves attached was also found. That's weird. The body was wearing two rings. One was inscribed with the initials MHR. She was also wearing a locket that said, To Patrice, love Uncle Phil. And the metal drum itself told a forensic story. On the side of the drum were a sequence of numbers that read 36355. The barrel was manufactured in March of 1963, and it was a 55-gallon drum. So you get it like 363.55. Okay. That's awesome. Okay. The manufacturer of the industrial drum kept corporate records. This particular barrel had been sold to Melrose Plastics located in Manhattan. It was used to contain the chemicals used in the dyeing and manufacturing of plastics. Within a couple days, the first few pages of the address book had been dried out. On the first page, a number and letter sequence had been written. It read AM825140. This is what is called an alien registration number. It is a unique number assigned by the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services to a non-citizen at the time his or her A file is created. Gotcha. It's the number found on a green card. Oh, okay. This particular number sequence was dating back to the 1960s. Immigration was able to provide the name of the person whose identity belonged to the number and the woman who it was believed had been found inside the steel drum. She was identified as Reina Angelica Medikin. Gotcha. Reina had arrived in New York City in 1966 from her home country of El Salvador when she was just 25 years old. She loved fashion and could speak and read English very well. Reina was very independent and wanted to see the world. She knew her dreams would come true in America. Reina wrote to her family in El Salvador often and called occasionally But in the winter of 1968, the letters and the phone calls just stopped. Hmm. After a few days, Raina's address book was completely dried out and intact. 
Oh, my gosh. Isn't that amazing? Again, now I really want to know what the green liquid was that preserved <laughs> everything so well. Well, it wasn't the green liquid that preserved the address book. It was them being able to go and meticulously dry out every single piece of paper in that address book. Right. But normally that would have completely dis disintegrated into dust. You think? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, except that most of the names, addresses, and phone numbers were either incomplete or unreadable due to the amount of years being soaked in that liquid. But once they put the pages under an infrared light, most were now legible. Investigators began calling the numbers located in the book, but most were out of service or the person on the other end of the line did not know Arena in the 1960s, except for one. Oh, my gosh. Kathy Andrade. She had lived in the same apartment and kept the same landline phone number in New York City for over 30 years. And she knew Raina. She and Raina were extremely close, almost like sisters. What are the chances? This is a God moment right what here. What are the chances yeah. of a barrel being in a crawl space in a house that's changed hands a couple of times? Mm -hmm. Four times. Okay, well, a lot of times over the years, <laughs> then they just happen to not be able to get the garbage man to take it. So they have to open it. Then they do all this and manage to dry it out and get all this information and find a phone number and call the number and have someone answer and it be the person that hasn't moved. A hundred percent. The mathematical probability of that is unlikely. Yeah. All right. Good job. All <laughs> I right. know. Isn't that wild? Yeah. For 30 years, Kathy never knew what happened to her dear friend, Raina. When police met with Kathy and showed her a picture of Raina's immigration photo, she began to weep and cried, my angel, my angel. Mm. That like chokes me up. Hold on a second. Okay. She told the investigators that she met Raina right after Raina had arrived in the U.S., Kathy was from El Salvador as well and took on a sort of mentor role in Reina's life. Kathy worked for the garment district and was able to get Reina a job in the industry, which was amazing because Reina was way into fashion and wanted to do something with fashion. So to meet a friend who knows about all that stuff was really, really cool. So would you say that it's fairly common historically that Back in the day, we'll say that day, right, mm -hmm. that immigrant women from South America were largely working in the garment district? I don't think it was just from Central America or it, South America. I believe it was all over the spectrum. So, but probably predominantly poor. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. Because that's awful work. And back then it was hot. Isn't that considered the textile industry or no? Yes. Garment? Yeah. Yes. Okay. It's the textile industry. And they could work them for hours and hours right, at very low wages. Right. That's and, my point. Okay, right. Yeah. Right. They were not treated fairly or kindly most of the time. In other words, they're really taking advantage of the fact that they really had no other choice. Right. So that's why they tended to be in those industries because that's all they could do. True. But Raina wanted to really stand out in oh, the fashion industry. Yeah. Yeah. The two women became inseparable and formed a deep bond. Raina was a happy woman and was helpful and nice, 
and a joy to be around. Kathy just kept saying how wonderful Raina was and how sweet she was and kind. And if anybody needed anything, she would have given them the shirt off of her back. That was just the type of woman that she was. Wow. One day, Raina told Kathy that she had to move out of the Catholic residency that she was living at. She had become pregnant. Raina had been dating a married man. And he had purchased her an apartment in Hoboken, New Jersey. Raina told Kathy that he had promised to take care of her. And he would take Raina to the doctors every other week. And that he was good to her. But in the spring of 1969, Raina called Kathy very upset. Her boyfriend told her that he wasn't going to leave his wife and he was never going to marry her. So Raina, in turn, did a very foolish thing. Uh Uh-oh. She phoned his wife at home. Oh, gosh. And told her all about their affair and that she was pregnant with his baby. Raina told Kathy, he's going to kill me. Kathy asked her, who's going to kill you? My boyfriend, answered Raina. Kathy then said, I'm coming over to your place. And Raina answered, please do. She was scared. Yeah. What did she think he was going to (sighs) do? I don't know. I don't think it was a thought out thing that she did. I think it was an impulse thing. And she's pregnant. And she's pregnant. So she's very emotional anyway. Oh, absolutely. Hormonal and emotional. Oh, God. Kathy rushed over to Raina's apartment, but there was no answer when she knocked on the door. Kathy tried the doorknob, and it was open. So she walked in and called for Raina, but quickly realized that she was no longer there. The apartment was empty. But Kathy did notice that the dining table had been set for two people, and the food on the table was still warm. So Raina and her guest had just left. I hope she didn't do something stupid, like talk to him, and he say, you know what, I'm just going to come over and let's talk. Because then no good could come from that. No good did come from that. Yeah. Kathy knew something was wrong, so she waited for hours for Raina to return, but she never did. Kathy eventually went to the local police precinct and tried to report Raina as missing, but she had not been gone long enough, according to the police officer. So Kathy went home. The next day, she went back to the station and was told that because she was not a family member, she could not report Raina as a missing person. What? So that was it. Why didn't they tell her that in the first place? Like, hey, just so you know, no matter how long it's been, you can't report her missing anyway, so you're wasting your time. It might have been a different person that she talked to. See, that's the problem. I know. Well, the other guy said this. Well, he was wrong. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter. And I'm just surprised that maybe she didn't go back again a few days later and say that she was her sister or something like that. But I'm not in Kathy's shoes, and I know that she is heartbroken over the death of her friend. So I'm not going to judge her about that. But in my head, I was thinking, oh, well, maybe I would have gone back a couple days later and said, well, no, I am her sister. So I don't know. I don't know what happened. Yeah. After a few days, Kathy started to think that maybe Raina had gone home to El Salvador. Yeah, but she would have told her. There, there's I no think way. she would have told her, You would have been too. like, you know what? I'm out. I'm worried about this guy. I'm going to go 
back to El Salvador. It sounds like she would have been the type two to thank Kathy for everything that she had done for her. Yeah. But that it was time for her to go home and be with her family, with maybe have the baby in El Salvador. I don't know. I I know there's a lot of things going through Kathy's mind when that happened. And she would probably need some help. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, not necessarily financially, just logistically. Kathy never stopped thinking about Raina. Kathy was asked if Raina had ever told her the name of her boyfriend. She had not. So that barrel had been found under a home, a home that had at least two owners. Why would a random person hide a body in a drum under a random person's house? That would take a lot of work to get a drum slash barrel with a person in it full of liquid into someone's crawl space without their knowledge and have them not notice it. So who were these former owners? Right. The home was built in 1962. City records showed that in 1980, when the home's second owner, Arthur Eben, had an extension built on the back of the house, the crawl space that held the barrel was part of the extension. But this is in 1980. So that means they moved the barrel on purpose. Okay. Well, Arthur was questioned by the investigators. And according to him, he was not the one who had actually put in the home's extension or add-on. He had only applied for the permits to bring the home up to code. It was the original owner who had paid to have the extension built, a Mr. Howard Elkins. Ah. Arthur had seen that barrel in the crawl space, but had left it alone for 12 years. No. He he had thought that it had just contained construction material left over from the home's extension or expansion. That is amazing to me. What? If you bought a house and had a barrel, wouldn't you want to know what the hell was in it or get rid of it? Yes. I'm not good with mystery barrels. (laughs) Maybe it's this podcast thing, but (laughs) if any of you out there have a mystery barrel on your property that was there when you bought the house, there's a reason that barrel's still there and that they didn't get rid of it. It's probably got their neighbor in it. Right? Yes. Or they're something. I don't know. Well, asked if he knew anything else about Howard, Arthur said he believed that Howard was a married father of two and owned a plastics flower company. There it is. There it is. After a little digging, investigators learned that Howard was the part owner of a plastic flower company called Melrose Plastics, located in Manhattan. Also known as Melrose Place. No. That was a great show. Howard had owned the company with Melvin Gantman from 1961 till they sold the company in 1971. Investigators were able to find Melvin and interview him. Surprisingly, Melvin still was sharp and had a great memory. He was like over 70 years old, this guy. You're not supposed to drop dead at 70. I guess not. 70 just seems a long ways away. I don't know what episode it was, but it was one of the adult aerobics factoids. And um, (laughs) it still happens into the 70s. It sure does. I don't know. I wouldn't know. I hope so. That's what I've read. (laughs) After showing Melvin a picture of the barrel, they learned that the drum was used to hold the dye 
that was used in the chemical to color the flowers and shrubbery. Melvin was asked about Howard and whether he had known if Howard had ever had a girlfriend. He said yes. She was petite, pretty, had long black hair, gold in her four front teeth, and she worked at the factory. His description matched Raina perfectly. And in his mind, it's perfectly fine. To have a mistress? To have a mistress. At this time, it very much was. With, with gold-lined teeth that worked in the factory that you owned? Yeah. What a jackass. Oh, Melvin's a jackass? Both of them. <laughs> so he has a poor girlfriend that he makes work in his factory? Well, I'm sure she was and uh, working on other things as well. Yeah, so in exchange for that, she should get, you know, a management job. Oh, shift management. Sure. Something. Something. Secretarial position. A team leader. Yes. She probably would have been really good at that, actually. Investigators now felt they had enough circumstantial evidence to find and interview Howard. Uh, Yeah. Howard was now 70 years old, retired, and living in Boca Raton, Florida with his wife. God, there's a stereotype, huh? (laughs) Investigators from Nassau County surprised Howard at his home and he invited them right in. They told him why they were there and showed him a photo of the steel drum. Howard told them that they didn't use those kinds of barrels at the factory, but Melvin said they did. He also said that the kind of dye found in the drum was not the kind used in their manufacturing. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm going to explain that sure. dye in just a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Howard did admit to having an affair with a woman, but could not recall her name, age, height, weight, or even what color hair she had. He couldn't even describe her to them. What a jerk. Okay. A liar. All right. Here's a uh, public service announcement. (laughs) Ready? All right. Don't get involved with a married man. No. That's it. That was the end. That's my public service (laughs) announcement. PSA from Daniel. Uh Uh-huh. You're welcome. But how did that barrel get under the crawl space of your home, Howard? He had no knowledge of a barrel and gave no explanation. Knowing Howard was lying to them, he was told that they needed to swab the inside of his cheek to compare his DNA with that of the unborn baby in the victim's abdomen. Howard told them no. He couldn't let them do that. Now, this is a quote from Howard. You ready for this? I am ready. I know what you guys can do with that. Look at what they did to OJ. (laughs) Oh, damn. Okay. (laughs) Oh, so he's siding with the fact that they framed OJ and that OJ had nothing to do with any of it. Mm. Oh, boy. I'm not going to say a word. I'm not. I'm just just trying to clarify in my head that that's that's the direction he's going. That's the direction that Howard is going. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. An investigator then told Howard that he believed he was involved and would come back with a warrant for a blood sample and that would match the baby's DNA. Howard then told them his wife was on her way home and he needed them to leave. At that moment, they legally had to leave the premises. Yep. Howard was then informed that the investigators were going to put him away for life for the murder of Raina and their unborn baby. As they're leaving, they're like, okay, dude, see you later, but we're going to put you behind bars. 
So if you want to shoot yourself, <laughs> now would be a great time and save us a lot of trouble. Daniel! Sorry. I'm oh, just, my God. What? All right. Well, let's continue. What? Howard just nodded his head and they left. Okay. The investigators rushed to a local judge to get a warrant for Howard's DNA. The next day, one of the investigators called into their precinct. He was told that the Palm Beach Police Department had just called asking if Howard was in custody. His wife had just reported him missing. Nope. He wasn't with them. Maybe he had taken off or was hiding. Okay, hold on. I got to interrupt you. Okay. When I grow up and become a police investigator, mm-hmm. right? Because why not? If I know 110% this guy's guilty, but I don't have a warrant, and now he knows that I know, oh. I am leaving a car. Yes. I'm, I'm leaving a undercover car right now watching his house. You can't be inside his house, but you could damn well park nearby, have the guy walk up and down the street every once in a while and see what's going on. Because you know this guy's a flight risk. He is out. You're right. A hundred percent. He is out like an overweight kid in dodgeball. <laughs> okay, well. Okay, sorry. I, I will stop. Go ahead. All right. Well, soon after Howard was found. Oh, all right. Never mind. Earlier that day, Howard had purchased a Mossberg 12-gauge shotgun and ammunition from the local Walmart. Howard had snuck into a friend's garage a block and a half away from his own residence, gotten into the back seat of the friend's explorer, and put the barrel of the shotgun in his mouth and pulled the trigger, killing himself in the back of his friend's explorer. I was just kidding. I know you were. But you nailed it. (laughs) Oh, my. Are you serious? Yes. He did it in his friend's garage. What kind of friend is that? Oh, man. If he wasn't dead, I would kill him. (laughs) Right? (laughs) You asshole. Why did you you do it in my garage? Now I have to disclose that. In my trying to sell my house in Boca Raton to the next retiree. That is exactly where I knew your head was going to go. The it's the hell? resale value of know. your home. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, resale value. Jeez. <laughs> oh, if there's a murder, well, there's a murder, a suicide, I think, you, you know what? That's a good question. <laughs> now, that would be a factoid. You know what? I'm going to write that down. Okay. <laughs> there are different laws for real estate in different states as to what you have to disclose and don't have to disclose. So I'm not sure if there's a murder, I think you have to disclose it no matter what. But I believe if you die of natural cause, I'm not sure. Okay, well, you'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. I'll let you guys know. A sample of the blood found on the scene was taken and analyzed. Howard's DNA did match the DNA of the babies. He was the father of Raina's baby. Of course he was. So Howard murdered Raina. They know it. He did it. So what was Howard's motive? It is believed that his motive was just to keep his family intact. And his business. It's not the family because he could give two S's about his family because he was willing to cheat on his wife with this poor girl and get her pregnant. Okay. In my opinion, it was the bigger picture. But they ended up selling the business less than two years later. But that's my point. Had this happened, 
she could have divorced him and clouded his ownership stake of the business. You think? Absolutely. Okay, but we're also talking about the 1960s. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. If they're legally married and his wife wanted to do something about it, she could really mess it up. Okay. That's the other reason why, now I'm going to go off on a tangent here, (laughs) it's really risky to go into business with a partner. Mm, Yes. Because that partner could get into drugs, could cheat on his wife, could get divorced. All those things could really mess up the business. The business could be great, but just because one of them is a dumbass could really cloud the operations of a business. So I think he didn't want to ruin all that because now you have a woman with a child who now basically can claim, hey, you owe me child support. But this is also the 60s, though. Like there's a big difference between the 60s and what would happen today. So I don't even know if Raina would have been able to get any sort of compensation for having his child or child support. I mean, she was not even an official resident of the United States. She was living with a green card. That's what you're saying. But Howard doesn't know that. All he knows is, oh, crap, I got to make this go away. I really think that it was to keep his family intact. All right. Well, he should have thought about that before. He should have thought about everything before he stuck his willy into something else. Right. (laughs) Sorry if that was crude, but it's true. You have to think of the consequences of where you're putting that thing. Yeah. So, all right. Well, 40-year-old Howard had moved 27-year-old Raina to New Jersey so she would be further away from his work and his family. He probably hoped that she would just go away, but in pure desperation, Raina called Howard's wife and told her everything. Mm-hmm. Howard was pissed, so he somehow lured Raina out of the apartment and to the factory. Now, this is what the investigators believe happened. Okay. The door was left open for Kathy, and the apartment was not in any disarray. Which means that Raina more than likely left that apartment under her own free will. See, that's that's the mistake people make. Because she still wanted to believe. She very much wanted to believe. Yep. Mm-hmm. She was pissed. So he smartly came at her calmly and was like, hey, it's okay. I just want to talk. Mm-hmm. Blah, blah, blah. You know, and she goes, I, I really do care about you. I just, yeah. I don't know what else to do. And he's like, it's okay. It's I'm not okay. mad at I'm you. I'm not mad. I just want to talk. Whack. Oh, geez. You right? scared me. And then it's, and then she's dead. Oh, poor Raina. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's believed that Howard murdered Raina in one of the secluded areas in the basement of the factory, probably with a hammer. Striking her multiple times in the back of her head. He then put her body in the metal drum along with her handbag and rolled it into the back of his station wagon. So what this barrel was used for was mixing the chemical with the green dye. This was a used barrel. So it had the remnants of the green dye inside of it. So what they believe happened is that he put her body in there. And as she was decomposing, 
with bodily fluids and it mixed with the green dye and those chemicals. So that is what that green goo was. So because it was sealed perfectly, no moisture could get out. So it contained all of her moisture. Everything that came out from her body. Gotcha. So it just left the skin and bones, basically. Yeah. But intact. But intact. Nothing was, yeah. Nothing yes. was torn. Or... And that's why it was green. Because they said that bodily fluids and decomposition is actually clear. The liquid is clear. Yeah, I could, yeah, I could see that. I did not know I mean, that. You, okay, I if, learned that from forensic files. If you injure, fi forever. If you injure yourself, obviously there's blood, but blood clots very quickly, mm-hmm. right? So everything else is is clear. Your body is going to release all this stored water it has all over, right? Because you're mostly water. Mm-hmm. You're actually not mostly blood. You're mostly water. So that makes sense that it's mostly clear. To, I thought I so. Mean, to some extent, I guess. Yeah, I thought so. Well, not only did he put that metal drum in the back of his station wagon, but he also put in four 50-pound bags of plastic beads, which I believe they melt that down. They melt those beads down to make the plastic oh. forms. Okay. Yeah. He took the drum home and filled it with those four bags of plastic pellets making the drum more than 300 pounds. So he couldn't get it back up in the station wagon, so he moved it somehow into the crawl space where it stayed for over 30 years. Like rolled it. Yeah, probably rolled it. Investigators believe that Howard was going to take his boat out into the Long Island Sound and push the steel drum overboard and let Raina sink to the bottom, but it was too heavy. For him to do by himself. Right. Isn't Damn. that wild? Yeah. So his wife and his children remained in that house for a couple more years with his dead mistress in the crawl space and their baby. Had he gotten that thing out into the into the ocean or to the bay, never would have found it. No. Because there's probably so much crap like that out there. Yeah. Within days, you wouldn't even recognize it as a barrel. Well, look at what they're finding out in Lake Mead. Oh, yeah. And that's just what's sticking up. Yeah, they're finding bodies with barrels in them. I mean, <laughs> barrels with bodies in them. But yeah. that's all mafia stuff. No, yeah, but imagine that's what they see. There's stuff that has sunk down into the sediment, you know, in the mud and all that. Right. So I'm going to say something here. Do it. That I haven't read, I haven't seen, I haven't heard. But it's kind of gnawing at me that I need to kind of talk about this and see what you think. Okay. Okay. All right. This ought to be good. So this was in the 1960s. This is our, or at least my, grandparents' era. This was the time of the nuclear family. Yes. We had a dad, a mom who stayed home, and two or three kids. Two and a half children. Uh Okay. This wife knew what her husband had done. 100%. Because Raina had called her and told her, this wife, and I know what her name is, but I couldn't find any more information about that. I'm not going to throw her under the bus because I don't even know if this is true. This wife would have done anything to keep her little life together. We also have to remember that Howard owned a large plastics company. Mm -hmm. They were Mm -hmm. actually doing very well for themselves. That was my point. And there was a whole social scene connected to this business and to their lifestyle. 
the last thing that this wife would want to do is have her family break up and her marriage break up over a young woman who got knocked up by her husband, okay? There's a little part of me that believes that maybe Howard wouldn't have done what he had done had his wife not said, you better deal with this or you better get rid of her. That's just me. Okay, so you're pretty close to what I said. What'd you say? Yours, it makes a lot more sense. Okay. I said he got rid of her because she could have ruined everything. Yes, but I'm coming from the wife's point of view. Well, because you said it would have messed up his family, and I said, no, Mm. he doesn't care about that. He cares about the image, the business, everything else. Okay, so it kind of goes hand in hand because he would have cared about his family but not falling not, apart. But not about making his wife unhappy. Okay, well, I really think that his wife, I, I'm not saying that she killed her. I'm not saying she was in that basement. I'm not saying she helped him get that barrel, that steel drum into the back of his station wagon. I'm not saying that. No, I don't think she did that. I'm saying that she might have been the catalyst to what had eventually happened. That's a very fascinating thought. I bet you're 100% right. Okay. It was a gut feeling. Yeah. I felt like I needed to say it because we have a lot of really smart listeners, and I wanted to say it out loud before they came back to me with that theory. But you're pretty smart. Well, you I are. mean. No, but you have. This is our 90th episode, so. Yeah, so you're you're basically an expert. The point that the wife probably would have said some. Okay, she knows. She knew. She knows. Anyone, especially back then, even today, guarantee, especially today. So I guess the time doesn't change. If your husband runs a big, huge business and you think that he is as clean as the driven snow. <laughs> nope. You are out of your mind. And so mm. I think a lot of these women who have these very powerful, wealthy husbands look the other way they just know that they just accept that as part of the as part of the journey and they know that he's probably going to die before them statistically and they just got to wait it out heck yeah right (laughs) Think think of the lifespan of most of these men you know especially back in the day where this 30 year old businessman marries this cute little 17 year old girl she can let his big, hairy, heaving body on top of her every once in a while because she knows he's going to drop dead from a stroke and a heart attack from all the red meat and alcohol mm, and at, cigars at 47. And she's going to be a millionaire. <laughs> and then she can go, you know, carry on with the pool boy. Boom. Which is why I want to be a pool boy when I grow up. Shut up. Um, all right. No, well, I know you're 100% right. Okay. She knows. She knew, I think and she, she did. probably encouraged him to make it go away or else. Not that she said go kill her. No, no, no. Just make it, make go, it away go away or else. Or else. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> All right. Well, poor Reina's family was tracked down in a little town on the outskirts of El Salvador. They were found celebrating Reina's 93-year-old mother's birthday. Oh, jeez. When she was shown a photo of her missing daughter, she broke down in tears. She was told that her daughter had been found deceased. Raina's mom said that for years she had been having dreams that Raina was in a barrel going over a waterfall. What? Yeah. And that she believed she had lived so long 
because she needed to know what happened to her baby girl. In October of 1999, Raina and her baby boy were finally laid to rest in her family's cemetery. Only a month later, Raina's mom passed away and was buried next to Raina and her grandbaby. Aww, that's kind of amazing if you think about it. I know. Why would she? She's not going to lie. What are the, no, but there's no for reason her to, to dream about a barrel. Mm-hmm. And I 100% believe people stay alive for moments. Absolutely. And sometimes that moment never comes and they finally do die. But if you heard about people that are waiting, like they have a, a granddaughter, let's say that's getting married or she's pregnant and they just don't die. They linger and linger and linger and linger. And then finally they stay alive for the wedding mm-hmm. and the next day they die. It's like, there's no, there's no way. That has to be something. I agree. All right. You ready for a fun fact? Oh, geez. Yeah. Well, it is said that Reina left El Salvador because her husband was cheating on her and knocked up his mistress. I don't, I don't even know what to say now. I read that a few times. So, and I had also read that he was abusive. (sighs) Yeah. This poor girl cannot catch a break. I know. What the hell? All right. Well, Daniel, what do you think of my case? I don't remember any of it now because there was so much to it. <laughs> uh, that's a, oh, This one is sad. There's so much there. There's a lot to digest. I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't, I don't get it. Do you have any questions? Ch- no. All right. Well, you want to <sighs> just let this one go? So her husband... In El Salvador was cheating on her, allegedly. allegedly. And knocked some other chick up. Yes. And then she comes to America. Falls in love. Falls in love with a guy who's married. Mistake number two. And then she becomes that girl. The pregnant mistress. Just like the one with her husband back home. So she essentially repeated the very thing that happened to her with another guy. But who knows what Howard was saying? Like, oh, my wife and I were just married on paper or yeah. we sleep in separate rooms. Or I mean, he could have said a million things to her. Yeah. And he's this kind of wealthy, middle-aged guy right. that owns a big factory. That's attractive. Okay, again, another PSA by Daniel. Run away from married men. Yes, please. And... They are lying to you, whatever comes out of their mouth. Yep. Okay, good luck with that. And what they do to you, they're more than likely going to do with somebody else. Yes. All right. My sources for this case were, of course, a ton of articles. But most of those articles I read were written by the journalist Oscar Coral, who wrote about this case in Newsday and eventually wrote a fictitious book based on this case called Keep Her Contained. He was also the one that went all the way to El Salvador to share with her family that they had found Reina. Wow. Yes. He was very, very much attached to the story. And he did a great job. I also watched a show called Buried in the Backyard that had actual interviews with all the major players within this case, even the homeowner who had lifted the lid of the steel drum and what he had seen. And he was the one that said that he kind of saw this boot kind of float to the surface of this goo. I know. You know what's crazy, though, is that means the bodily fluids, shall we say, Mm -hmm. broke down 
the plastic beads. No, the plastic beads were all over the top and in the goo. Oh, okay. So they hadn't turned into like a plastic goo. No. They were still intact They were still intact beads. Okay. All right. Never mind. All right. Gotcha. Um, You know what we forgot to do at the beginning of this episode? What? I forgot. I forgot to read the good things that happened to our listeners this week. Oh, crap. Darn it. All right. Well, I'm going to read it now. So sorry, guys. Sorry we suck at this. Jess Picariello, Picarello finished her first semester of BS in dental hygiene while working full time as a dental hygienist. That's a lot of work. Good job. Dang. Janelle S. Smith said, I found and saved two baby goats that a mom had abandoned at birth. I'm now bottle feeding them. You, Janelle, are a saint. That is so sweet. I hope for her sake she filmed it and put it on YouTube because you want to know what gets millions of views on YouTube? Cats, which is annoying, and bottle feeding baby goats. 100%. Oh, that's a good idea. Absolutely. Midwest Texan Morgan says, finished seventh of eight chemo infusions. So close to done with this part than my surgery era. Oh, God. We are praying for you and praying for your healing Uh, and just keep going. Good for you. Yeah. All right. I'm going to stop complaining about whatever it was I was about to complain about. I know. Sean OC23 says, booked a trip to Gettysburg for Memorial Day weekend. Nice. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Lex Wims says she sent me a video and it's gorgeous whale shark encounter with my boat on dolphin excursions, Hawaii. That's like your dream thing, right? No. Is to be in a tiny boat no. out in the ocean and encounter, just let me finish. Okay. And encounter a creature that's 10 times bigger than your boat. Isn't that your dream? I'm sweating <laughs> just even thinking about it. I mean, the video is beautiful, but I know it's a video, so I it doesn't I 100% scare me. want to do that. And then Seven Backwards says, I won $400 on a slot machine, only four pools in while we were out for my husband's birthday. Cash out. Yes. Cash out. Yes, girl. Run away. Cash out. And then one of my favorite people in the entire world, my friend Christy, she says... I pooped every day. (laughs) (laughs) I love you so much. Okay, so I bet. Oh, I love her. I bet if you asked 100 people over the age of, I'm going to say 45 and older. Okay. If you're like, what makes you have a good day? I bet most of them would say, gosh, if I poop every day, Mm -hmm. it's great. Amen. For a week? Seven in seven (laughs) days? That'd be great. (laughs) That made me laugh so hard. Here we go. Patreon real fast. Teresa H. Thank you so much, Teresa. Welcome to our dysfunction. We really appreciate it. (laughs) Bethany W. Bethany, we appreciate it so much. Kathy. uh Oh, did I misread it? Kathy F. Oh, Kathy F. I can't read them cross-eyed. Kathy, thank you very much. You guys really help us out a lot. You really do. Thank you so much for becoming Patreons. It means the world to us. And be careful. For marriage is a life sentence. And divorce is always the better option. Or don't sleep with that married man. Just just don't. Bye. Bye. Bye.